wrapping up our Roman series alive today. Uh, we've been doing this for multiple weeks. We first did Romans 8. We did four weeks on Romans 8, and now we're in Romans 12. We're hitting our fourth week of that, and today's message is a fun one uh, because we are talking about loving our enemies. You know, some people are like, ha I needed this one today, you know? I get it. You know, I went shopping yesterday, yeah, and I needed to remember this message yesterday. Yeah, so uh, we're going to be talking through this. We're going to be starting in verse 14. The verse is up on the screen here. It says this in verse 14 of Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. What a radical message for the time we live in today. Bless those that persecute you. Pray for them. This is a radical message, and, and the, the actual word bless means to speak well of, to speak well of, to speak well of our persecutors. And when we look at that, this verse, if you break it down, verse 14, it means that we need to speak well to our persecutors. Speak well to them. That in the moment that we are, we're not fighting back, we're not striking back with, with our words, now, I'm just going to say there's going to be a lot of stuff in today's message that's going to be hard. It, it's going to be hard. We're going to battle with it, and that's okay. That's how we grow, right, is when we battle with this, when we work through it together. The th second thing it says to speak well about is we need to speak well about our persecutors, Speak well about them. That means when we're not around them, when we are behind closed doors and we're with our friends or our family, how are we speaking about them? Are we adding fuel to the fire? Are we adding fuel to the fire? That someone has done something wrong to me or said something wrong to me and I'm going around, I keep talking negatively about them. The only thing I'm doing is keeping that alive. I'm giving that power. I'm giving it strength. We need to speak well about, not just to them, but then we, it ends with this. We need to pray for our persecutors. Pray for them. It says this in Matthew 5, 44. It says, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. It's just a radical, radical way to view the world. We live in a culture, in a world where you, you do something to me, I have the right to retaliate, Right? I have the right to retaliate. When you do something negative to me, I either have the right to retaliate at the same level or take it up a notch. But that's not what God's word says. And that's not what Jesus said. That's not what Jesus did. Remember, as Christians, we're supposed to live like Christ. Think about this. Jesus, this perfect, perfect person, came from heaven, went to the cross for you and me. And on his journey, he's healing people. He's healing eyes. He's healing hands. He's healing legs. And if you think about it this way, he's healing eyes of people that will one day look away from him. He's healing legs of people that one day could run away from him. Even when he finds himself on the cross, he is being punished for something he has no right to be punished for. He has no right to be on the cross. It should have been us paying for our mistakes and our sin. But Jesus didn't look at how we treated him. He chose to love unconditionally. We need to be like Jesus in this. If we want to impact the world, which I hope that's our prayer in this building, that we would be a light in this darkness, 
then we have to live differently than everyone else. We have to live in a different way than how the world treats us. And we all know that we live in a world that seems completely broken, very angry. I, I, sometimes when I'm on social media, I'm scrolling through and I'm like, man, we just are so mad at each other. We're so mad at each other. And the only thing that can heal us is the healing grace and love of Jesus Christ. But we need to live that out for that to happen. As we continue to read, it says this in verse 15. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those that weep. Another translation for happy uh, is to rejoice. Rejoice with those who, who are happy. Uh, has anybody ever met this person? That whenever you share something that you're happy about, maybe in a large group, maybe at a family dinner table, you say, I'm happy, this cool thing's happened to me, and their first response is negative. You know, it's like, you know, like, I'm not saying this is what, but somebody comes to the table and they're like, we're having a baby. And that person's first response is like, are you going to be able to afford that? Is your house big enough for that? Do you have enough rooms for that? Like we, we, some of us are so guilty about this that when someone is in a moment of celebration, we automatically move on to the negative. We, we, we automatically move on to the things that could be a problem in this situation. But it says when they are rejoicing, when they are happy, we should be in that with them. Even if we see possible downfalls. You know, and this, I'll be honest, this is one I struggle with. Uh, we have an intern team here uh, that, you know, does a lot around grace. And they'll come to me and they'll have these celebration moments about what's happened in their life. And my first response will want to be like, you have no idea what life is. You have no idea. But I, I, I hold that down. And I'm like, happy for you. <laughs> yes, you did it. Rejoice with those that rejoice. But then it says, weep with those that weep. Weep with those that weep. It, this is calling us to an authentic empathy, a realness of when someone is in a moment of pain, when someone is in a moment of mourning, we don't rush past it. Because just as we, we don't celebrate with people long enough and we move to the negative, we often also do this with the people who are weeping and mourning. When someone comes to us and they're, they're laying their heart out and their brokenness and their hurt, whatever that looks like, we automatically go to fixing it. We're gonna do this. You're gonna be better by then. Jesus is gonna set you free now. What it says is, is weep with those that weep. Don't rush past their pain. We are called to be in the moment with them. And if you're looking for an example, Jesus is a great example of this. There's a story in scripture where Jesus is away at a different town and some people come to Jesus and they say, your friend, Lazarus, is dying. And Lazarus dies when Jesus is on his way back to the tomb. And as he gets to the tomb, his sisters and family members are there weeping because their brother is dead. That's a normal thing, right? Now, Jesus knows what he's about to do. Jesus knows he's about to walk into that tomb and raise him from the dead. He knows what he's about to do. But in this piece of scripture, we find the shortest, piece of, uh, shortest verse in the Bible. It says this, Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep in that moment? He knew that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. There was gonna be this celebration. I'm telling you, if it was me, 
in my faults, I would have walked up to that tombstone, of that uh, the grave where he was, and I would like kick the door and say, watch what I'm about to do. Look at this. You're crying. Come on. Look at this cool thing we're about to do. I got this. You know, fireworks are going off. But what Jesus did is he sees the people weeping, and he begins to weep. Because Jesus was not too far ahead of the moment. In that moment, the people around him were hurting. And he wore that. He knew what was about to come. He knew that there'd be celebration. But he was still in the moment. We have to live a life like this as well. And if we're going to live a life where we're celebrating with others and, and we're living this way and we're mourning with those that mourn and need that, there's, there's some things that we need to stay away from. We need to stay away from things like envy. Envy will cause us to look at someone's celebration or hurt and envy what they had or what they have currently. It's stuff that we would say like, I wish I had that. Even in the morning, you know, someone shares something about their life that they lost, but you never had that. So your initial response is, man, I never had that. Another thing we need to stay away from is disappointment. What about the words, I never get that? I grew up in a household where my mom played, uh, not the lottery, but the, uh, what's the, the house where you, furnishers, clothing house or whatever, I forget what it's called. But it was like a million people put their money into this thing and then one person won a giant check. World's biggest check. And every day, every time it happened, it wouldn't happen to my mom. She, her, I never get anything. I was like, I'm standing right here, mom. Like, I'm right here. You know, like, I, I, I never get anything. We need to stay away from the disappointment. Notice what we have. And we need to stay away from judgment. We, we need to stay away from judgment because there's times where someone's celebrating something or they're hurting in some way and the judgment comes up in us and our, we say stuff like, well, they didn't deserve that. A blessing is given to someone and our first response is, man, they didn't deserve that. They only go to church twice a month. I go every week. They didn't deserve that. We need to stay away from things like judgment. As we continue to read here, it says this in verse 16. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. I mean, when you look at other translations, this ordinary people can be translated as someone of low estate. That when you look at them, you see them as lower estate than you. Don't, don't be too proud to enjoy the company with people who make you feel uncomfortable. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of people who might not have as much money as you. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of people who are awkward or different or have brokenness or sins that are different than yours. Because we have to remember that we are broken as well. I mean, some of you are like, well, I don't do that. I don't do that. A lot of times we, we, we put ourselves only around people who think just like us, who look just like us, who, who drive the same level car as us. And when we encounter someone that, that doesn't fit the mold of our life, our natural tendency is to kind of separate from them. When Jesus is calling us to not be that proud that we are supposed to love everyone. I know it's a radical thing, but everyone, 
No matter their standing, no matter their estate, no matter what they look like, Jesus is saying, don't be too proud. Don't think that you are better than you really are. Don't forget that everything you have, I gave to you. Everything that you're standing on and looking down at them for, I gave to you, and I can take it away like that. If you're not gonna be willing to get down there with them, I'm gonna bring you down to them. I mean, this is what it's saying here is we can't be too proud to do that. I mean, even Matthew 7, verses one and two says, don't judge others and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Ooh, ooh. Think about that. The way I treat you, the way I treat the people around me, the way I judge people around me is this, what I am going to be judged by. That's the standard. I mean, that should hit home to us that we, we should be responding to people no matter where they're at, loving people where they're at. And then it continues to say, and don't think you know it all. Don't think you know it all. He's speaking to the, uh, the believer here. Because what he's speaking to in this time, as there was religious leaders or even the Jewish people who had grown up in the faith and seen this practice, but now they're in a season where the Gentiles are starting to come to faith. They're starting to believe in Jesus. But what happens is, is the religious people stand on their platform like they don't know how to worship right. They don't know how to do this right. I've been practicing this for years. I know, I know the scripture back and forth. I'm at higher standing than them. I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful that God's kingdom is an equal playing field. There's no higher standing. There's no, I'm better than you because I do more than you. We have to be careful as believers that as we go through life, that we don't put ourselves on a pedestal based on our religious acts. Don't let religion... Don't let traditions, the things that we do here, the, the, the things that we do at home, don't let those traditions make us go too high up on our pedestal that we start to look down on others. Because remember, that's what we will be judged by. We need to remember that we are broken. Even if we find ourselves as a, on a pedestal where we're doing all the right things, we have all the right traditions, we are still broken and in need of a savior. Amen? As we continue to read, it says this. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Or put it this way, do things in such a way that when people look at you, they see Jesus. Do, live your life in such a way that when people look at you, they see grace, they see freedom. Live your life that way. It, it's, it's living your life above reproach. That when someone looks into your life, they, that you don't leave room for them to make things up or say things that aren't true because you're living your life in such a way that nobody can say that. You know, we live in a culture where we, we try to find the line in everything, right? Like, okay, let's say this is the line, the edge of the stage is the line for sin for us. I want to, what we normally try to do is, I want to get as close to the line as possible without stepping over, right? Or maybe it's how we love people or how far we should go or what we shouldn't do. We're always like, okay, where's the line? I'm going to get right up to it. But what this is saying 
is to live your life in such a way that people know you're honorable. It's saying if this is the line, I want to live a life where I'm back here. That when people look at me, they see the line and they see me way behind it. I'm not going to give room for people to see me close to the line. Because there's too, there's too big of a mission here. It's too important. We have to remember people are watching us. Do you know that? That when you wear this banner of Christian, Christ follower, people are watching you. And the sad part is, is a lot of people are watching you, looking for you to fail so they can prove their own beliefs inside of them. We have to live a life where we stay so far away from the line that we can't accidentally trip into it. How many times have you just tripped in to that mistake? You were living close to it, but you were doing good, and then all of a sudden, you fell into it. Stay away from the line. Live a life above reproach, because we live in a world that opposes things like righteousness, and purity, and honesty, and truthfulness. We live in a world that opposes that. So as we try to live in these things, as we make these lines in our life, we have to stay away from getting too close to them so we don't trip into it. Verse 18 says this, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. What this is saying is our first response, our first response when dealing with people should be to find peace to find peace. Can I tell you a very spiritual story real quick? Like I said, I went shopping yesterday. And I found myself walking through the store and I was focused, I was on mission, I was there to get one thing. And I'm zooming through the store. Zoom, 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 you know, I'm zooming. I had one thing, get in, get out. And I see there's a short line to check out. So I'm focused on this line and I just make a, I just go right for it. And I get in line, I'm like, sweet, here, here we go. And I hear someone behind me, excuse me? Excuse me? I go, I realized in that moment I, I had cut her in line. But I, my first response was, how dare you think I did that on purpose? How dare you think I did that on purpose? Honestly, I did it. My first response was to just like, throw judgment, like, I'm a good person, I'm a pastor, I wouldn't do that on purpose. Like, I, I, that was my first response, and then as I'm having these thoughts, I'm like, wait, Shane, you're preaching on peace tomorrow. I'm so sorry, go ahead, go, like, I, that was my first response, but I, I, I didn't want to live with hypocrisy, so I did it. We should always search to find peace. Now, how do we do this? How, how, how do we live a life that even in the midst of troubles, even in the midst when people are upset with us or are angry with us, how do we find peace in this? There's some, some things we need to do. We need to stop and remember. Pause and remember these things. When we find ourselves living in comparison, comparing ourselves to someone or how they're acting to us and we compare that, we need to stop and remember that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That the, the, what, what situation I'm in with this person right now does not define me. If they are saying negative words to me, if they are hurting me, if they're saying these things, that is not who I am. My identity is in Jesus. I am made in his image. 
And if I can stop and remember that, I can look for peace in every situation. We need to stop and remember when we find ourselves in anger, where we're mad at someone or someone's mad at us, we need to stop and remember that Jesus Christ is a healer. He heals, doesn't tear down. He heals. He never leaves us or forsakes us. We need to stop and remember that he can heal all wounds. He can heal the wounds in others, and he can heal the wounds in us. Even though it hurts in the moment, we can find peace remembering he's a healer. And when we find ourselves in judgment, like I was in the store the other day when I was judging that sweet, nice lady behind me, we find ourselves there. We have to remind ourselves that we are not the judge. It is not our job as followers of Christ, to judge others for their actions. It is not our job to judge others for how they live their life or what they say or what they even say to us. We don't sit on the judgment seat. Jesus does. We don't sit there. It says this in verse 19. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. I love this piece of scripture because we start off and it's like, peace, peace, peace. And then Christians get to this and like, yeah, God, get him, get him. Just like pumped up, get him, God. That's not what it's saying here. It's saying that, it's reminding us that we are not the ones that bring this on. God is in control. God is in control. The right to judge and to execute vengeance is God's alone. He owns the results. He owns what's gonna happen. We don't. One of the best stories I ever heard about this was, I heard a story once where there was a, a young college student who went to this big university and he was in a class in world religions and his, his teacher was just a staunch atheist like, and so much hated Christians and found out that this kid was a Christian early on in the year and calls him up um, to the front. He said, here, we're gonna, we're gonna practice something. I want you to pray that your God would strike me down. And if it happens, I'll convert. So this kid starts to pray. He's praying and the guy's still standing. He prays, he begins to weep because he's embarrassed, he's hurt. He's in a moment where someone is trying him, someone's persecuting, someone's, someone's putting his faith on trial and he prays and he gets to the end and he says amen and the professor starts to just make fun of him in front of everyone. I told you your God wasn't real. I mean, everything in this kid, he, you think you'd have the right just to speak back and yell and be angry at that professor, right? But he makes his way to the back of the classroom and he sits down and the, the professor continues to go on and then all of a sudden, a guy stands up in the back and he makes his way to the front. He makes his way to the front and he stands right next to the professor and he punches the professor in the face. <laughs> Knocks him down. Knocks him down. He gets up and the professor's like, what was that? That's not what, we said I had to be struck down. Well, God was busy, so he sent me. <laughs> you know, God's in control. He's got the results. Amen? <laughs> Verse 20. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. You'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads by, by responding to them. When your enemy is hungry, give them food. When they're thirsty, giving them something to drink. Living in a way that is not reactionary, but is kingdom-focused. 
that when someone does something to me, my first response is to love back, not retaliate. And it says they'll heap burning coals upon their head. These coals represent repentance here. Because it says the coals of shame on their head. When we respond in such a way that honors God, even when somebody is just degrading us or someone is taking, uh, being mean to us or hurting us, when we respond in a grace-based Christ way, it heaps burning coals of shame on them. Because when we respond with anger, when we respond with vengeance, when we respond with words that are angry and brutal, we're just keeping that going. But when we respond with that love, they're gonna be like, what am I doing with my life? Why, why am I doing this? With us responding that way, it opens up the opportunity for them to have that repentance moment. I just saw a video uh, about this guy who was doing a bully class. He was teaching kids how to stop a bully. And he brought the kid up on stage and, and he said, I, I want you to just say all the nasty stuff about me you can. And so the kid's just brutal. He's like, like, just like, you're ugly, ah, all this stuff. And he's responding with like, I'm not ugly, you're ugly. And he's going back and forth and back and forth. And it just keeps going. And then he stops. He says, okay, now do it again. And the same things, you're ugly, uh, you're old, all of these things. And his response when he said you're ugly is, I, you know what? I've struggled with the way I've looked for a long time. I wish, I wish I had it like you. I wish, but my identity is not found in you, it's found in Jesus. My identity is not wrapped up in you. And then again and again, it's just response of grace and love, and eventually the bully gets to the point, because ah, ah, eventually it's just too much. We, when we live a life like this, when we, when we respond in a gracious way, those coals of shame will cause someone to step back and maybe even repent for the way they're acting. But we can't get to that place when we are responding with anger and judgment. Verse 21 says this. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. How does evil win? How does evil win in our life? Evil wins when we start to live for ourselves. When we start to live for ourselves. When it's all about us. When it's all about what I want. What I need. It's about my desires. Or when it's all about our rights. That it's my right to have this. It's my right, my right. I, I hear people say that all the time. This is my right. This is my right. We don't have the right to anything except through Jesus. That's where my rights are. Or anything that he gives me. When we start to live for our own good instead of living for the good of others. We start to live a life that's for our own good. And we're just focused on our succeeding, our amount of money that we're getting, our wealth, our retirement. It's just self-focused. That's when evil starts to win in us. That's when the enemy is able to speak lies and to make us respond negatively, to, to not act like Christ. And this all comes down to sacrifice. That we are called as Christians to live a sacrificial life. That's what it's talking about here in loving our enemies, that it's not about us, it's not about our rights. We don't get to base our life on how they treat us. We are called to sacrifice what our desires are, to sacrifice how we feel we should be treated. Sacrifice that to Jesus. 
and ha- allow him to move in us and move in our world. As we walk through Romans 8 and Romans 12, as we close this out, I want to go back to Romans 8, verse 37. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. All of Romans 8 and Romans 12 is wrapped up in the simple thing that it's all about Jesus. It's not about us. Can I pray for you? Father God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for what you're doing in us, God. What you set us free from, Father. Let us live a light that is sacrificial, God. As we cling on to you, as we try to live this life that glorifies you, let us live it in a way that is honoring. Father, we love you and we praise you. In your holy name, amen. So what I have up here is I have a plant. And this plant represents something special for the series we've been going through. As we've read through Romans 8 and we've read through Romans 12, what this plant represents as we go through these scriptures is it represents how we want to live. This life-giving, this branched-out faith that is loving and understanding and beautiful, that's God-honoring, that, that, that is impactful, this light that is just growing out of us. That's what Romans 8 and Romans 12 is getting us to. But for this to happen, there has to be a burial. See, this plant comes from this seed. This plant, this life, this, this amazing, impactful life comes from this seed, a little seed like this. And what we have to do, if we are looking at this through the lens of how does this impact me, is just as this seed has to be dug, a hole has to be dug in the ground, and this seed has to go in and then be buried. It has to be buried down for it to grow up and become this. There's things in us. There's, there's the way we act, the way we treat others, the sin issues in our life, the pridefulness, all of this. There is things in us that we need to bury if we want to live a life that is impactful. We have to bury it. We have to give it to Jesus. Just as when we're baptized, it says buried with Christ. There's areas in our life that we have to sacrifice to dig down into the dirt, to bury it so Christ can then pour his living water on it. And we can start to see the anger that we bury turn into grace and love for others. The, the, the hurt that we bury, the pain that of our childhood, whatever that is, as we bury it into Jesus, as we sacrifice it to Jesus, as it goes into that, we start to see it become healing and healing for others, branching out, whatever it is that we need to bury. I know that there's things in my life that I still daily, I gotta bury this. I gotta go to the cross. I have to sacrifice this and give this to Jesus so he can turn this seed into something beautiful. This is what Romans 12 is talking about. To live a life in such a way that we are daily waking up and giving things to Jesus, burying them, and allow Jesus to grow in us. Amen? We're about to sing a song. 
called Living Sacrifice. It's been our theme song for the whole series. And as we sing this, I want us to think about where are the areas in my life that I need to bury, that I need to give to Jesus, that I need to, to hand over to him so he can make something beautiful out of it. So would you all stand with me as we sing? And let me pray for you again. As we think about this burial season, the, the things in us that need to be buried. Father God, I thank you for every single person in here. The areas in their life, Father, that they've been holding on to, that they've been living in such a way that they've been trying to do it on their own. I pray that today is a burial. That they would take that and they would give it to you, God. They would sacrifice that part of themselves to you, Father. And you would grow something beautiful out of it. Let us be sacrificial, God. In your holy name, amen.